Hello everyone, welcome to Bonus Podcast. My name is Donatus Rubonas, I'm the host uh, of the show, and uh, this week, uh, as always, as usual, I'm joined by my colleague, Ritis Vishnauskas. Ritis, welcome. Hello everybody, as you can see, this is the face of somebody who is covering the Winter Olympics, at the mm. same time also dealing with basketball. No excitement in your face? Why? Why is it like that? I'm kind of tired, you know, I'm, I'm not really a winter sports person, but... You're, com- you're becoming not best. Olympic sports person, as I understood, because I already heard your remarks about Summer Olympics, like it's k- kind of a big event, sports festival for some, you know, amateur athletes. Uh, yeah, I was a little bit exaggerating, but uh, honestly, it's kind of difficult uh, when I have to do the Olympics in the morning, basketball in the evening, football as well, uh, too many broadcasts. Too much time spent at work. I'm not used to it. I'm used to my usual routine. You know, everything's happening in China. So the timeline is very different. Some events in early in the morning, some events later in the afternoon. And then, as I said, the EuroLeague is there. The Premier League is there. Even the NBA. Uh, so a lot of stuff going on. I'm really, really tired. But I'm um, at the same time willing to give my 100% to this podcast. <laughs> My man, what's, <laughs> what's worse, um, Winter Olympics, commentating Winter Olympics from morning to evening, or new EuroLeague website? Ooh, Ooh that's a that's, good one. That's tough. I mean, that's like choosing between Rudy Gobert and James Harden, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't label Winter Olympics as something bad in my life. Uh-huh. It's just that here in Lithuania, we don't have experts or commentators of for, for winter sports so obviously us basketball football commentators have to prepare ourselves to cover bobsleigh biathlon and all the other events i mean i respect people competing in mm-hmm. there it's just i don't feel confident enough to cover those olympic games but this is part of the job. And the website, that, that's a different story. I mean, <laughs> for some reason, we missed that part uh, in our previous podcast. We wanted to give some time. Maybe they mm. will fix some bugs and issues that are there. But as you can see, it's not functioning very well. It's not user-friendly. I'm annoyed by this website. I'm annoyed when I have to scroll to the side when I want to check the PIR rating. And at the same time, I want to see points and PIR <laughs> in my screen. And I cannot do that because of this new website. Uh, I remember I had a game, I believe, uh, CSKA Moscow against Anadolu FS. During the broadcast, I clicked on CSKA roster and there was only Dimitri Satoudis <laughs> and no other names. It's not functioning very well. I mean, and I, I really don't get it. Why do you need to do this in the middle of the season? I agree. I mean, wait for the summer. You will have more time to launch it, to prepare everything, to ch- double check everything. Then we will have some more time to get our get used to the new website. Mm. Now, I mean, the the old one was good. The only problem yes. that that the in the game center you couldn't see the rescheduled exactly. games, the postponed exactly. games. Everything else was good. Now I'm really confused, to be honest, and it's kind of difficult to adjust. 
Yeah, I have nothing to add. The worst part is that when you try to Google some players and to, to see their profile or their stats, and when you enter their profile, you just find uh, something like uh, this page is not found or there's nothing to uh, to look for over there. Just like on the EuroLeague.net uh, website. I mean, there, there's yeah. nothing to look uh, for right now. So now I have to, you know, be in the mix of basketnews.com uh, database, some EuroLeague.net uh, stuff. Also, we have Bibolitics. So it's... It's it's hard, and also you cannot Google player profiles for the historical players. Yes, yes, like yes. For example, That's why I advise you all go to basketnews.com. Yeah, in the past, I would, I, I would just Google exactly. Manu Ginobili Euroleague, and I would get his profile with the stats from uh, Virtus Bologna, his season in Italy, and it was fine. That was one now of the best I, Euroleague tools. Now, actually. if I Google Pau Gasol Euroleague, I will get the link. On Google, but when I click on yeah, it, it doesn't it's not work. Working. Yeah, it's horrible, really. I'm sorry. Uh, probably uh, as horrible as Real Madrid El Clasico uh, against uh, Barcelona. For sure, we're gonna talk about uh, Real. They're on some kind of shooting slump uh, recently. Uh, we will talk about that game. Uh, also, what. Real are missing against Barca because it seems like that Pablo Lasso he just cannot beat Shadas and probably Shadas found the code how to how to uh, win games against Real Madrid. Also, we're gonna discuss uh, Baklavas in Istanbul and Costas Lucas making uh, game winners. Some um, news on the markets. Uh, some some injuries and some other stuff uh, since we have the week off uh, in the EuroLeague we will have some other excitement exciting tournaments all over Europe so let's start with a night which started with a nice uh, pre-game show for Felipe Reyes uh, he was named as the EuroLeague legend Florentino Perez is in the stands Jordi Bertomeo is in the stands uh, all eyes on Reyes all eyes on El Clasico it was the most anticipated game of the week and it starts 24-2. And in the middle of the second quarter, Barca up by, up by 26. That was horrible. It was. Um, it was the third El Clasico this season. Fourth, mm. if you add the Supercopa. Mm. And even in the Supercopa game that Real Madrid won, it was almost in the preseason stage. They were down by almost 20 points. They had to make a big comeback. Sergio Yul made some crazy shots, but Barca was in control of that game as well. Mm. And then those three games that they won, two in the EuroLeague, one in the ACB, all of them belonged to Barca. Not only that they won it, they were in control from the very beginning on all three occasions. This should be worrying to Pablo Lasso because we are not only talking about the EuroLeague. The EuroLeague format is this. You might not even face Barcelona in the final four. Mm -hmm. You just have to get to the final four. Maybe Barca will lose in the semifinal. You will not see them at all. But uh, obviously, in the end of the season, it is expected to have the final series in, in ACB, the El Clasico, Real Madrid against Barcelona. And this year, Real Madrid have no excuses. Last season, they had plenty of excuses. They were the weaker team. Mm -hmm. It was obvious that they couldn't compete with Barcelona at that moment. And right now, this is worrying, really. They are worrying signs. And in my opinion, the main problem is um, lack of true point guard playing against Barcelona. Because Barcelona and Sharuna Sisikavichus, they can disrupt your game, your usual game. You will be scouted. They will be prepared. 
they can stop certain players. They know their weaknesses and strengths very, 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 very well. I don't think you can damage Barcelona that much close to the rim. It's difficult to attack them in the paint. They are very well prepared. And in this case, you need a very solid point guard, which Real Madrid don't really have. Thomas Hertel, Nigel Williams-Goss, Sergio Yule at this stage of his career. These are not the type of players that I expect to win these games. So this is the number one issue, in my opinion, right now for Real Madrid. Yeah, they're doing great moves, like uh, bringing back Gabriel Deck, uh, extending, at first, signing uh, Garcia Becele, which turn out, uh, turn out, turns out to be a great signing, then extending him for three more years, having Tavares, uh, Poirier on uh, long-term contracts, uh, like uh, recruiting Juancho Hernan Gomez to come back to Europe. That's amazing, that's perfect. But all these backcourt play, uh, backcourt players, I, I I just don't believe in them anymore because all these uh, previous stars like Rudy Fernandez, uh, Sergio, you, they just got old. And also, you know, Fabian Cozer, he's he's just old. Thomas Hortel, he's okay, but he, he he's good. But he's good if he's your backup uh, point guard. Nigel William Gas. Maybe there's a lot of uh, uh, which comes to his situation in Real Madrid. There were way more expectations uh, when he's bringing on the floor the, right now. He's a great person. He's a hard worker. Uh, he deserved the chance in Real Madrid, but not, well, it's it's not it's not working for them. So I'm not so sure about the point guard position. I just uh, need a great or at I would say elite player on their backcourt because I just think that Real Madrid cannot afford having uh, uh, Sergio Juic having eight um, field goal attempts per game like now he he's having in the EuroLeague which is crazy I mean you you see Real Madrid struggling on offense uh, on offensive end both against Fenerbahce or Barcelona you see ball in Sergio Juic hands and he's he's shooting in terrible percentage this season he's uh, shooting 28% of both two pointers and three pointers that just that's just too bad for for a team like Real Madrid and if 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 you remember well i mean when they had Luka Doncic when they had the Facundo Campaso they were always among the top 5 best offensive teams in the Euroleague since Campaso left they were lacking of that kind of uh, quality on their backcourt uh, uh and they actually became more defensive minded team and the offensive yeah. minded team at least yeah. the all the numbers show the mentality they're they're showing the character they're showing on the court uh, that's that's how it is right now but Real Madrid so I don't question the heart of Sergio Yul I don't question the heart of champion uh, of the former MVP but I think it's just over that's that window for him is over and it's just coming like with Navarro with Spanulis that no, their time just passed. They can be valuable as role players in some limited minutes. And even though Yui is playing only nine, 19 minutes per game, his usage percentage uh, is highest on, on his team, 25%, something like that. And it's the zone of like Mario Hezonia, Costas Lucas. It's just too much. They need some some other floor general, uh, other elite player uh, on their backcourt. And I don't know, they should be looking for a free agency 2020 and uh, We We might have Shane Larkin, Tyler Dorsey. Elio Kobo, Mike James, I know Malcolm Delaney. There, there might be some players. So they need some elite reinforcements. I agree. I agree that they would need reinforcements in the summer. However, everything is not as bad as it looks like yeah. right now. Yeah. We we are talking 
after the week when they not only lost the El Clasico, previously they got their asses kicked in Istanbul by Fenerbahce and only scored 51 points. Maybe it's it's they're just in a bad moment right now. Yep. Copa del Rey is there. We will see them competing again. It's, it's a possibility that we will mm. see another El Clasico and a chance for a rematch. Uh, we're but talking if they were in Anadolu situation, for example, right? We're trashing them, like yeah, they look yeah, bad, yeah. but it's it's not like that, but is that gap which probably makes them, you know, away from the EuroLeague title, we're for example. We're just talking, f no, I mean, I think they have a better chance to win the EuroLeague than the ACB. Mm -hmm. Because it's one game, uh, yeah. As I said, yeah. they might not even face Barcelona yeah. in the Final Four. Uh, basically, we're talking about a particular matchup Real Madrid against Barcelona. Mm. We're not talking about Real Madrid against CSKA, what they would need in that situation. Mm. Mm -hmm. This particular matchup, Real Madrid against Barcelona. Now it seems like Barca has the upper hand yeah. and the lack of creativity on offense is a problem in this particular great game, which is mm. a classical, which is obviously a big deal in Spain. Mm, I agree with you about Sergio Yui. He is the captain of the team. I don't expect him to retire after this season. As we know, Real Madrid treat their legends, at least basketball legends, mm. very well, like Felipe Reyes. He might stay for one more or two more seasons. The same for Rudy Fernandez, but they just have to accept a smaller role. And uh, when you are thinking about them against Barcelona, you're thinking they're trying to match Nikola Mirotic with Gershon Yabusele. They have Walter Tavares as their biggest weapon, probably. Uh, but at the same time, Sharas knows how weaknesses. to attack Walter Tavares. Back in the days when Sharas was coaching Jalgiris, Jalgiris centers would always play a lot of pick-and-pop action and score some mid-range jumpers, even three-pointers. This is what happens, and this is why, in my opinion, Barca signed Serta Chanli. For this particular matchup, Sharas knows they're going to face Real Madrid. It's going to be a series in the final, and Serta Chanli is... One of the best centers right now in Europe at playing pick-and-pop situations and scoring three-pointers. So Real Madrid are trying to match Barcelona in many positions. But the point guard position, with the progress that Rokas Jakubaitis is making, with Nicolas Laprovitola playing his best basketball, mm. and with Nick Kaledias getting healthy, Real Madrid have the advantage here because Nigel williams Goss is struggling, Thomas Hertel is inconsistent, and Sharas knows how to break Thomas Hertel, basically. And you also talked about Sergio Yu. So, yeah, this is the situation for Real Madrid at the moment, but I'm still very confident that they are going to be in the Final Four. Yeah. And if they are in the Final Four, they will have a chance. They will have a shot. But in the series right now, if I have to bet, I would probably bet on Barca. Yeah, and, and what's funny uh, that they didn't find, I mean, they didn't believe in Nicolas Laprovitola anymore after uh, his two years in, in, in Madrid, and they opted out for, for going for Nigel William Goss, which in my eyes, he kind of, you know, took the place of Facundo Campasso. Thomas Hertel probably is, is, is more suitable uh, for, as a replacement for, for Nicola Laprovitola. But oh boy, like, uh, how La Provitola was playing. Uh, he contributed in, in Barca's first 15 points. Uh, he scored uh, 12 points uh, almost in a row. Uh, he was just killing Real Madrid. He was uh, making pretty quick uh, three-pointers. And he he changed the... I would say he changed the game. He set the uh, tone for the game. He made 
uh, Real, um, I would say they try to um, reduce the gap uh, and to you know regain the confidence, rushing, rushing their game, uh, making some quick uh, shots, uh, making making some bad decisions. While Barca, they were playing their game, and <laughs> Nicolas Laprovito, it's it's crazy. I, I even checked for some Argentinian phrases uh, to, to to show to give praise for for Nico, like Barbaro or Ser Gardel. I don't know which which. What do you think about his? Mustache. Stash. It's it's <laughs> just it's just the way how Nicolas Laprovitola, you know, he's he's going through things. I mean, he's such a cool dude. He's very funny guy, but at the same time, he he knows how to switch that button to fully focus on on all these games, and he has that ability to play very bad game and then to bounce back with the game like uh, against Real Madrid. I honestly didn't think he had it in him to no, make it no, to no. make it for Sharas. When they signed Nicola Provitola, I was actually surprised. I mm-hmm. thought this is not the type of player Jesikavicius needs. Thomas Hertel was not the right fit. Mm-hmm. Why would La Provitola be the right fit for for this Barcelona team? I'm really surprised how he's performing. Yeah. And when I mean, uh, Real Madrid signed former Barca players, Adam Hang and Thomas Hertel. I really thought that these are good signings for Real Madrid. And then Barca grabbed La Provitola, and I was like, why? Yeah, it, it, even in practices, even in games, they have something like kind of arguments, you know, because La Provitola, he, he likes uh, freestyle basketball. He likes to yeah. improvise on the yeah. court a lot. He likes to, he loves to throw shoot all these crazy three-pointers. Yeah, like just uh, Sergio Yui uh, does. But uh, somehow he, he managed to fit the Shara system as well with some, let's say, exceptions. Uh, Shara's always loved all these hardworking guys and in, 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 in practices he makes, uh, he, he puts a lot of effort and he makes a good quality practice and Shara's always give a chance to the player which uh, gives 100% both uh, in games and in, in practices. And uh, I mean, they just find a good connection. And but. Uh, I know what you're saying about. Uh, uh, I see what your point about why why they brought uh, La Provitola to Barcelona. Uh, the market was not very good for them. Uh, they didn't have a lot of money uh, this summer, so they had to make some some moves. And you know, La Provitola has Cotonou passport, which helps him in in the ACB because they were still thinking uh, about you know bringing American player, for example. But they have uh, limitations for for US players over there, so they have to be flexible. Uh, and also La Provitola was actually waiting for a Barcelona uh, opportunity because uh, he got, despite, I would say, not very good seasons in, in Real Madrid, he he, he was a pretty attractive uh, player on the market. Uh, what's funny that even Jalgiris uh, wanted Nico La Provitola, so <laughs> in, from La Provitola's side, it's so good that he ended up in, in Barcelona. And um, he was waiting for Barcelona offer, and uh, actually the... For some reason, they, they wanted him uh, on the roster, probably, with all these reasons. Uh, the now we market. see why. Yeah, well, now, now we, we see why, now we they, see why. And they, they, but they They even admit that they didn't expect him yeah. to be that good. Shadows probably just wanted to have a different option. Like, we know Nicolaitis can set up a team. Kubaitis can control the game. He can control the game. Obviously, nobody expected uh, Kubaitis to be yeah. that good in his first season in Barcelona. Generally speaking, Barca were super lucky. Kalaitis is out for 10, ga- 10 days. Jokobait yeah. is playing uh, best basketball in his life. La Provitola yeah, La is Jokobaitis, killing everybody. They're just exceeding uh, expectations. And another player worth mentioning is Dante Exum. Mm. 
Agree. Uh, a great El Clasico performance by the Australian, really. Mm. Not only great stretch uh, for him in, in the last four games, uh, he was averaging close to 11 points per game, uh, something around yeah four rebounds, uh, 1.5 assists in 19 minutes. He was very efficient shooting the ball, 53% from two-point two range, 63% from three-point range. Yeah. So defense was always there. He has a great body uh, to be a very valuable defender uh, in the Euroleague. If he makes these spot-up shots, if he makes these uh, open looks, that's that's great. You cannot uh, ask uh, anything else for him. The worst part is that Corey Higgins is out now for three yeah. months, which is something like a season-ending injury. Because if he return, if he returns, he will return Spanish at the playoffs. end of May, something Spanish like that. Playoffs. So it's on the eve of the final four and Spanish league playoffs. And I have to admit uh, that uh, Corey Higgins uh, was not playing very well. I mean, he was playing his worst season in the Euroleague. That was affected by by all the injuries. So I cannot say that uh, Barca was missing him specifically. But the problem is that they will miss type that kind of type of player like Corey Higgins is because he can help you in on crunch time. He can help you when you need some uh, scoring, uh, which can come from individual performance. And Axum, uh, I heard that since uh, Higgins is out for a long time, uh, Barcelona want to keep uh, Dante Axum because he still thinks about uh, going back to the NBA, which I think that he uh, he would do a mistake if he, he leaves Barcelona. But anyway, uh, they are not going to uh, look for a replacement specifically for Higgins. They will keep at the best. They will keep uh, Dante Axum and they are over of their roster. So they are different players. Barca, I mean, they will need that kind of player like Corey Higgins was. So it's it's not going to be easy for for Barca, Barca never. They need to convince Dante Exum to stay in this situation, in my opinion. Uh, however, uh, Alex Abrines is coming back. It's also important. Mm. Uh, he was very solid last season defensively, and he he, good he, free he, and he, guy. he's a good shooter as well. So let's wait. Uh, let's wait to see how he comes back from his injury. He was out for three or four months, so it's mm. a long time. Um, what else I wanted to say about Barcelona? Oh, Corey Higgins, right? You mentioned his ability to play crunch time minutes. One of the most clutch players in Europe. Yeah, exactly. Semi-final last, last year against Milano when Kevin Punter missed the wide open shot. Who got the game winner? It was Corey. Um, I think in the Spanish Cup last year, also Corey Higgins with the clutch bucket. And there are many examples from his CSKA days. So... Yeah, these big players in big games, they always step up. Mm. And to be in the Final Four with Corey Higgins injured, for example, him sitting on the sidelines, it would not be good for Barcelona, obviously. And Dante Exum, he's not Corey Higgins type of player, but he covers the position. He plays tremendous defense, and now he's proving that he can actually be a baller on the offensive end. Mm -hmm. And I believe that Yesikavichus this season of course he's still very strict he demands the players to follow the rules to respect the rules but it just looks like he's allowing these players to be themselves a little bit more like maybe he's forced to do that because he, he was lacking of uh, at least two starters uh, Brinas was also getting big minutes yeah. in the beginning of the season so he kind of uh, had to trust uh, all of his players and they got confidence 
from these good stretches, and now we can see them dominating the El Clasicos. Uh, Real Madrid, you mentioned a good point, actually. I want to go back to Real Madrid a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Uh, they became a defensive team. This stereotype still exists that Real Madrid is all about beautiful basketball, yeah. shooting Run trees in transition, yeah. running and gunning. But it's not the case for the last couple of years, I yeah. would say, since Campasso left, probably. Yeah, because it was a massive change uh, the way how Real yeah. played with Campazzo and after They Campazzo. rarely get involved in high-scoring games these days. Mm. When they win, they usually win through defense. The ball movement is still there, but let's look how they beat, for example, Zenit. They frustrated them, mm. 85-64. How did they beat Olympiacos, 75-67? They made a comeback, and it was all because of defense. How did they beat Unix Kazan? 85-68, once again, they locked the opponents on defense. How did they beat Saska? 71-65. It's not the Real Madrid of Mirotic, Nocioni days when Sergio Yul was the MVP and they were actually running and gunning. It's not the Real Madrid of Luka Doncic days mm-hmm. and not the Real Madrid of Campazzo's days. This Real Madrid is more about Pablo Lasso and the experience in the team they can defend. They have a lot of size. Mm. This is what they're doing. This is their strength right now. A lot now. of players. They can keep the high level of intensity d- and during 40 this minutes. This is actually why I still believe in them this season. I don't think there's any panic inside a team. No, yeah, no. they lost El Clasico. Yeah, they lost to Fenerbahce. They're just too experienced. and, and it's just a bad stretch. And especially in, in games against Barcelona and Fenerbahce, it seemed like they were just giving away really good shots. They had a lot of open looks. They oh, just yeah, uh, didn't find definitely. any success in making it. Shots. For example, these three games against Barcelona, Fenerbahce, Olympiacos, especially the first halves of their three or four last games were just uh, horrible. Like Barcelona, 31 to 52 on 11 from 32 field goal shooting. Fenerbahce, 17 to 27 after two quarters on 7 from 30 uh, shooting. Olympiacos, 24 to 38. Okay, they won the game. They they managed to bounce back, but I mean, they're they're struggling uh, getting their shots, uh, getting their buckets. Uh, I would say making them, not not getting them. They're, yeah, creating, they're, shots. they're creating shots. It's, they're it's not okay. Okay, uh, I, I I get frustrated when I see Sergio Yu making all these uh, crazy uh, attempts. And as I said, he's not efficient, and he just. He just need you know he should stop doing that or they just uh, have to find uh, other players uh, making all these shots. But uh, when it takes uh, shooting the ball, usually is the problem which will be solved out uh, during some time. You know it's nothing to be worried about. If the defense was full of holes, uh, terrible defense or something like that, that's that's a reason to to be concerned. Now, with Real Madrid, I just think that's a bad shooting Pablo Lasso said after two quarters uh, in the Olympiacos game when they were losing, he said, for us coaches, it would be too easy to just say, we're not making shots. Mm-hmm. Not making shots is just part of the problem, but at the same time, if you're not prepared to do the things you can actually control, yeah. then you're going to suffer. Missing shots at this level, sometimes it happens, but you react naturally that these players eventually will start making those shots. Most of them are like 38 or 40% shooters. Although, looking at the El Clasicos and seeing how Kyle Kuric, for example, changes the game with his movement of the ball, with his shooting abilities, I'm still thinking that 
J.C. Carroll could still be valuable for Real Madrid. Uh, we didn't know whether he's going to retire or he's going to play one more season. But now I could still imagine J.C. Carroll when the team is struggling and they need to make a comeback. Him stepping off the bench for three or four minutes, he could create problems mm. for, for, for the opponents. And he I mean, he's still an elite shooter. We saw that last season. Uh, so I, I don't know if Real Madrid is still talking with J.C. Carroll, trying to get him back from his retirement. We don't know. He didn't say mm -hmm. that he's retiring. But uh, my, in my opinion, he could still be a valuable asset to this team. Oh, yes, of course. And let's give a shout out to Fenerbahce. Uh, I mean, it was an incredible game against Real Madrid. Incredible win. We were talking about that. That's gonna be the game which will be, which will be decisive in, in terms of uh, understanding their winning streak. Uh, they want some. They want some games against uh, against big teams. They want some some games against eh, okay teams. But this game against Real Madrid was the one who would say which would make a statement uh, about the current situation in Fenerbahce and. Uh, the atmosphere, uh, finally, we have uh, a lot of fans in Ulka Arena. I think that Fenerbahce, they were missing uh, all these fans, all that crazy atmosphere. It, it took me to Jelko Bradovic uh, days. And the intensity, the, the support they gave, I think that uh, Fenerbahce felt it from the first minute of the game. They went on a 17-0 uh, run in the first and uh, second quarters. And there were some, some crazy moments. I mean, I... <laughs> From from all game, I I kind of noticed Perilla Henry and it took the, as a main highlight of the game and Perilla Henry. Uh, it was one of the situations where uh, Fenerbahce had a good defensive uh, play. They they either they rebounded the ball or they stole the ball and they went in, into transition. They were they are killing teams by the way. They are killing teams in transition uh, game. They're scoring almost twelve points uh, in transition. And since we know that Fenerbahce, they're not a high scoring team. That's that's a very important part of of their game and current winning streak. Anyway, back to Perilla Henry. I mean, he's stealing the ball. Uh, he. There's nobody in front of him. I mean, that's just a way few few bounces and it's an easy layup. And he decides to throw a, a I would say, easy European alley-oop pass to Aquila Polonara, which was struggling, uh, which was, uh, uh, who was not uh, finding his shot uh, that night. And he gives away that easy bucket. And in Perry Henry situation, uh, I mean, in every other situation, I would say that it's it's okay and it's a nice move, but at the same time we know that Perry Henry was not having a very good season with Fenerbahce. I mean he was struggling uh, making shots. Uh, he's still not very efficient shooter. I mean forty four from a two point range, thirty five from a three point range, seven uh, seven point five uh, points per game. I mean it's not something special, and especially when you sign a um, very good. Uh, contract with Fenerbahce in summer and there are a lot of expectations I mean uh, from Fenerbahce front office from the head coach of course it starts from them but also you have a huge Fenerbahce fans community I mean millions of fans all over uh, the world and I mean you can you can believe if you're playing bad games if you're on a bad stretch I mean you you're, you could be afraid of uh, um, you know watching your social media accounts uh, probably Kyle Hans uh, could agree with me because when he went against Marco Gudrich all the Fenerbahce fans they were attacking him on, on on Instagram on some random photos so there is a lot of pressure and 
I mean, now it seems like it was just an easy two points, but at the end of the season, uh, when you're negotiating for a bigger contract, there's a huge difference if your point average was eight or 10. But Perry Henry, he was just giving that bucket for his teammates, that easy shot, that easy layup for his teammates, just to feel more confident about himself. It was a good move in terms of, you know, giving that confidence to his teammate, Polonara, and all of his team, because although it's an easy play, it gives a lot of more things than it was, for example, just an easy layup uh, from uh, Pere Henry. So, I mean, he already showed a lot of um, dedication and passion, both for his team, uh, for the game, in previous games, he was playing through injury, and he helped a lot when Fenerbahce, they were missing Decolo and Vesely, so it was just another nice example who Peria Henry is all about, and he's giving way more than just 7.5 points per game, and as you mentioned, uh, I remember we were counting that four-game winning streak, I was giving some facts, and I was saying that uh, although they were uh, on a winning streak, Peria Henry was still averaging only 6.5 points per game, but you said that he's way more than that, and and once again, he just proved that. And Nando Decolo is back in training. So that's good news for Fenerbahce. Actually, there's another name I wanted to mention from the Turkish team. Um, I don't consider myself a very good basketball scout to scout young players. But I'm really surprised in a positive way about the young Turkish player, Shekhmuz Hazer. Okay. He has a EuroLeague player's body. His athleticism is really surprising. I think he can grow to be an elite defender. He just needs to add some consistency on offense, improve his shooting, maybe improve his ball handling skills. I can see him as a point guard or as a shooting guard. It depends on the coach. Uh, this situation with Decolo's injury, with um, Guduric struggling at the beginning, turned out to be good for Shahmuz Hazer because he got to play minutes. There were games where Fenerbahce had only eight players healthy mm. and Hazer had to play a lot of minutes. Um, we saw him dunking on Marek Blažević. One of the best dunks of the season. One of the best dunks of the season. I am impressed. I think he has a lot of potential. The stats do not show much, like 4.6 points per game, less than one assist per game, less than a steal per game. But uh, the potential is there, definitely. And it's been a while since we saw interesting young Turk Turkish players, prospects in the EuroLeague. I mean, we know they have their great young centers in the NBA right now. But in the EuroLeague, after Cedi Osman, I, be I believe, mm -hmm. we didn't see anything interesting. Yeah. And Shekhmuz Hazer, I'm excited to see how he improves in the future. I think he could turn out to be a very solid player for Fenerbahce. That's the reason why they paid close to 1 million buyouts uh, to Besiktas uh, to, to have him on Fenerbahce. And uh, actually, probably there are even more unsung heroes, I would say. Even watching, for example, Ishmet Akpenar. I mean, he's giving... 10 honest minutes on the court uh, on the court i remember very well how he got uh tyler dorsey distracted in, in the previous games uh, game against olympiacos he can get under your skin and he uh gives a lot of intensity on the defensive end and if he makes a three-pointer if he makes a good pass if he makes uh, his open look i mean that's that's all what you can ask from a guy who's playing 10 minutes per game Deshaun pair he was not a he was never an, a very impressive uh, guy on box scores but he was always 
always giving extra offensive rebound, extra good pass, extra smart decision, and uh, extra open three-pointer uh, when the opportunity comes. So there, there's way more in this Fenerbahce team. There are way more uh, heroes when just Decolo, Vesely, or even Perilla Henry. So that's a team to watch this year for sure. However, there is a player that I'm disappointed with from the Fenerbahce roster. Uh, okay. Another one of these young prospects, Tarik Biberovic. Mm. He was labeled like the next Bogdan Bogdanovic. His shooting mechanics kind of reminds me of Bogdan Bogdanovic. And we are just waiting and waiting for him to have the breakthrough season. We're waiting when he, until he shows his full potential. Now, under the circumstances, you can get a lot of minutes to play mm. in the EuroLeague, in the Turkish League as well. I just don't see a lot of improvement in his game. Uh, he was really labeled the next big thing. Mm. Like, Jelko Bradovic even said that it was Biberovic so is, many is years ago special. that I uh, it was so many years ago that uh, when I was doing this let's say little research on uh, uh, young Euroleague players, rising stars, and uh, how they are doing this this season, I was surprised to see Biberovic on that list of players age twenty one and under, because for me it's, it seems like he's already twenty five because he's been in the Euroleague yeah. for for so long. He's only twenty one years yeah, old. Yeah, uh, yeah, he's still young. He's still very young. He only played seven games this season. Uh, I don't know, I'm not informed, maybe he had some injuries, I'm not sure about that, maybe the Turkish fans in the comment section will correct me if I'm wrong, but he only played seven games, he only made one three-pointer from eight attempts, 35% two-point shooting, he's supposed to be a scorer with his skills. He kind of reminds me Tada Sedekerskis. If if you remember, uh, Sedekerskis was also scoring a lot when he was playing for youth teams, uh, for for teams in Lithuania, and Bebrovic also. He has a good body. He he's a big guy. He can do a lot of different things. But in some situations, Sedekerskis was lacking of confidence. Even sometimes now, he's lacking of confidence, uh, shooting the ball, um, you know, making decisions, uh, making some ball decisions on the offensive end. So maybe that's uh, what what is right now with Bebrovic. Maybe he's... I don't know. I'm not sure. I, I, I was just hearing his name mm. a lot in the last two or three years. I didn't have any expectations on him. So for me, it's, I, it's easy. I didn't have too many expectations as well. As well but mm -hmm. when you hear somebody's name and you hear that this is the next big thing, well, at some point you want to see him play and he's not delivering. But again, uh, Sheikh Mouz Hazer, I'm impressed. Fenerbahce as a team, I am very impressed. Looking forward to see Nando De Colo coming back from his injury, Jan Vesely. Um, and again, if they're beating Real Madrid with the roster right now, who knows what they can do with the full roster. It's going to be very in interesting. And not only talking about the EuroLeague. We were talking about the El Clasico, and obviously the Spanish League is very important. The mm -hmm. finals are going to be amazing if Real Madrid is facing Barcelona. Fenerbahce facing Anadolu Efes is also a big deal because there was a power shift in the recent mm. years. After the Jelko Bradovic era, even in the last season for Jelko, Anadolu Efes was the better team. They were dominating. They, they, they proved that. And obviously Fenerbahce want to re regain the title of the Tur to be the Turkish champions once again, to have the power in their hands again mm. and to have the upper hand against Anadolu Efes. So it's going to be interesting to follow this rivalry as well, not only in the EuroLeague, but in the domestic championship.
Maybe Tarik Bibera, which is not a big thing right now in Istanbul, but Baklava always a big thing in, in Istanbul, uh, as well as uh, Kostas Lukas, uh, game winner against uh, FS. I mean, that was that was really crazy uh, possession uh, because I remember that three guys were chasing Kostas Lukas, and as soon as he made that pass to Makisic uh, on the corner, for some reason, somehow, all these players just forgot about Kostas Lukas. And he was uh, he was almost open on that corner. But again, what tells a lot about the real heroes of basketball, real superstars, that you you have like second, 1.5 seconds to play, to survive in the game. They were down by one. And you managed to make a pump fake. Yeah. That kind of situation. <laughs> I, I saw, I, I, I love that angle uh, where you could see some journalists uh, sitting be, behind the uh, sidelines uh, and behind the baseline and they were shouting like, shoot, shoot, shoot. And Kostas Lukas, he was just like... Uh, Ice in his veins. Pumping. Yeah, Ice yeah, it was veins. amazing. It was amazing. This is what Olympiakos is all about. Greek players making game winners. Mm, yeah. Trintes is always smiling somewhere in Egypt, probably. For some reason, he was in Egypt for that FIBA con- Intercontinental yep. Cup. <laughs> yep, he was. That was w- another impressive, uh, unsung thing yeah. which happened recently. So, so Slukas belongs to the tribe of these clutch Olympiakos players making memorable game winners. And yeah, should be proud. <laughs> He's the captain of the team. Spanuli should be proud. Uh, Costas Lucas made an amazing uh, play, a game-winning shot in a game that really mattered because it was very important for both teams to win this mm-hmm. this game because both of them are competing for the playoff spots. And Donadol Efes, if they had this win, you could say, okay, Efes now we have 13 wins, 12 losses. Again, they're above 50%. Mm-hmm. Uh they would be in the eighth position probably. They would be very close to Olympiakos actually. So for Oli to defend the home court and win this game, it's a big deal. And wow, Costas Lucas, I'm just, I'm still stunned about that shot. Uh, in the end of the fourth quarter, it could have happened with Tyler Dorsey. He had the last shot, but he just didn't make it. So it went to overtime. And Anadol Efes in the recent weeks, they were winning these close games. Let's remember. And they improved. Mo- we have to say that they really improved. They yeah. won the game against Seska. Let's not forget, yeah, against Seska, they survived the last seconds. They won the game. They forced the overtime. Uh, against Panathinaikos, when they were struggling, they actually won it with Adrian Mormon's buzzer beater, an mm-hmm. unlikely hero, you could say. They won against Servena Zvezda in the last seconds because Mitic was hitting free throws and Kalinic wasn't. And now... In this game, when you're watching the end of it, actually me personally, I was thinking, I was at, at, at the moment working with Tralgiri's game, but I was following the scoreline and I'm thinking, so Vasa Mitsic is going to make some free throws or a layup or mm. something, but they're going to win in the last seconds. This was my feeling at the moment. Mm-hmm. And actually, when Jalgiris game ended, I got out of the commentary box. I didn't know how the Olympiakos game finished. I just knew that there was an overtime. And then my colleague is is going, and I'm just saying, um, so FS1? He's looking at me like, <laughs> what? <laughs> you didn't follow the news? I, I'm like, so did they win or not? 
he's come on man Costas Lucas is the hero of the night <laughs> he made the game winner and I was so I, I just grabbed my phone I went to Twitter I already saw the shot wow amazing really amazing yeah, one of the Euroleague instant classics I would say Oh yeah, and that celebration was also uh, very nice. I was, I was sincerely happy for for Slukas, and I was sincerely happy watching Olympiakos regaining the momentum. Uh, we were praising them a lot in the first part of the season. Uh, we were angry on them when they went in a three-game uh, losing streak uh, because they looked at, like a different team after COVID. Uh, they seemed to be like effortless team. They forgot about sharing the ball, playing defense, and whatsoever. But even if they lost the game in, in Madrid, we could see some improvement in their game already. Uh, they were having really solid minutes against Real Madrid. Okay, they lost, but then they went to Vitoria. They won uh, the game by 10 points. And now they're... Uh, and, you know, now they were playing against EuroLeague champions in a bad situation. But at the same time, Euroleague champions are finally waking up from that uh, winter sleep. So it was not easy game at all. It was not easy opponent at all. And I saw that effort. I saw their hearts, that they left their hearts out. I saw mm, a lot of different players um, contributing in this win. Not only Slukas. Uh, for example, Tyler Dorsey, he was making very important shots in the end of regulation. Mustafa Fall, I think that he deserves a lot of credit because... FS tried to attack him a lot and actually Mitic uh, scored his last points in, in the end of the regulation. But other than that, there were four situations where he managed to defend all these ISO situations. He gave Olympiakos two extra offensive rebounds on defensive end. So he was also very important. And finally, I can see Olympiakos and the way they played before. They're, it seems like they're coming back. And if, if they will continue playing like this, they will be for sure in top five. And actually, Actually, this game just shows how underrated Kostas Lucas is. He was on the same court with Shane Larkin and Vasilya Mitic. Um, in my opinion, he's not in the conversation, in the same conversation as Larkin and Mitic. These are the MVPs of the EuroLeague in recent years. Mm-hmm. Kostas Lucas is not the MVP. He's considered a, a good player, a good leader, a good point Solid guard. Point guard yeah. yeah, but he was the best player on this court with Vasa Mitish on it, with oh, yeah. Shane Larkin on it. He made a game winner. And um, I want to bring this up again. I was talking a lot about Barzokas rotations in our previous podcast. Uh, when I look at the box score and I see that Lucas played like 38 minutes, I remember in Fenerbahce, Jelko Bradovic days, sometimes he used to play 35 minutes, mm-hmm. close to 40. And uh, it gets me thinking. Is it smart to place Lucas the way Bartokas does when he plays him for 22 minutes, when he plays the full quarter, then he sits another quarter on the bench? Uh, I want to see Costas Lucas like this. 38 minutes on the court, making big plays, having the ball in his hands, making decisions for the team. Uh, this is the real Lucas. And when he plays like that with so much confidence, he definitely is on the same level with Mitzic and Larkin and all the other great players in the EuroLeague. You know, but team is winning. Uh, Olympiakos have 
woke up Dorsey next to him. Larazakis uh, impressed this year. So maybe, you know, that's the way how Bartzakas handles things. He wants to keep the game, uh, the intensity of the game all 40 minutes. Uh, he wants to keep his players fresh. And maybe that's the reason why he's making, he was so efficient shooting the ball in the end. Not uh, not yeah. only that game winner, but uh, also since the fourth quarter, I mean, he was he was making a lot of important shots that kept Olympiagos alive against I FS. mean, in general, I agree. But just in my opinion, there were some games in this season mm. where Barzokas underplayed Costas Lucas. And we both agree that they're having a good season. Mm. But they could be even better with some, okay. some decisions. And it's not like me talking about the whole season and that yeah. something is wrong with Olympiakos and Barzokas and yeah. Lucas. It's just some... It, Games, some short detail, which some particular games in where, for example, I remember when they played Zenit, they had a lead, they were in a good situation. Then, according to the rotations, Lucas had to sit for a long stretch, and they lost the control of the game. And when Lucas got back on the court, it was too late. So, in some games, maybe Costas Lucas is being underplayed, but. I mean, yeah, not, it was, not this time for sure. Uh, what was also crazy in Barcelona Real game? I mean, La Provitola scored twelve points in in first four minutes of the game, and Charles benched him. And uh, Joe Orlauskas, he just uh, the one of the two commentators of the game, he just went mad. He was asking why, Charles, I love you, but why are you doing this? And he was like uh, getting on that during the halftime also. And he, he, even La Provitola got the question after the game, but you know he he just smiled and you know he was right. Uh, coach knows. Uh, what he's doing and uh, most importantly when Kyle Kuric uh, went on, on the court I mean they extended the lead uh, 24 to 2 so that's that's part of the process and you have to trust the process if, if your team is winning talking about underrated things actually you mentioned uh, Slukas and we have to give some praise uh, to Alba Berlin uh, we already received some feedback that Sometimes we're talking a lot about some four or five main EuroLeague teams and sometimes we're missing uh, some clubs. I remember very well when we were selecting the MVP of uh, bottom 10 teams of the EuroLeague and we were picking Nikola Kalinic as a no-brainer. We kind of uh, forget Luke Sigma and uh, to you know give respect for what he was doing at Alba. But for this time, uh, I mean, Alba unexpectedly they stopped Zenit St. Petersburg. They stopped Unix Kazan last week. They beat them by 28 points. And this team, it's, it's just incredible. They can lose to everybody, but somehow they managed to beat all these top eight teams. And what's interesting that this season, they managed to beat three teams uh, from top eight. And for example, Anadal FS won only four games against top eight teams. So that's... That's an incredible fun fact about Alba Berlin and their season. I mean, we have no expectations about them. Uh, we don't. We didn't see them in playoffs. One more season, we saw them, you know, fighting at the bottom of the Euroleague, and you know, it's it's pretty close to it. But they managed to surprise us. Uh, from time they're to time. very close to Asvel or Trivena Zvezda. They're actually just one win away from these two teams, and we were talking about Asvel and Trivena Zvezda as. Serious mm. teams competing against the elite. Giving a tough fight every yeah, night for every club. Berlin. Not only did they beat Unix Kazan, they trashed them. Mm. And against Zenit also, they had a big lead. Uh, then Zenit made a comeback and probably everybody thought that now Xavi Pasquale's team will break this game. 
none of that happened. In the fourth quarter, Alba Berlin played very solid. Uh, Modo Law this season is showing some leadership. He is really blossoming. Um, he was known as uh, an inconsistent player, very, very talented player, mm. but rather inconsistent, which is why maybe he never got offers from exactly. the big clubs in Europe. He was always playing in Germany, whether it was Bamberg, Bayern, Bayern yeah. now Alba. And this is the year of Mo Law really becoming a leader of the team. Luke Sigma is Luke Sigma. We know everything about him. He's great. And another thing is, um, when Aito Garcia Reneses was the coach, we know Aito, we know he's a very romantic coach. Mm. And players always talk about him being a very nice coach. And when Aito Garcia Renesas decided to leave, Alba Berlin wanted to continue with the same approach, with the same system, which is why Israel Gonzalez became the head coach of the team, former assistant for yeah. Aito Garcia Renesas. He was already associate head coach last but, year. But for many EuroLeague fans... No name, yeah, to be Israel honest, he Gonza was a no Who name. Who is Israel Gonzalez? Yeah, exactly. You start Googling Israel Gonzalez, you Google a Mexican boxer. <laughs> okay, okay. You get... The link to the Wikipedia really? page of a Israel Mexican Gonzalez. professional boxer. Okay. Israel Gonzalez. Israel Gonzalez looks like a very serious boxer, actually. Yeah. So okay. we need to type ah, Israel but Gonzalez. But now I see Israel Gonzalez smiling, you know, when he's beating teams like uh, Zenit. Uh, <laughs> so we uh, need to type Israel Gonzalez basketball. Then you get the link to his Wikipedia page. Now, this is the first head coaching job in his career. It's a Euroleague team. It's not just a job. It's mm -hmm. not like some of the bottom Spanish teams. It's a Euroleague team still. Alba Berlin, they have ambitions. We know they're low budget. They're sort of uh, more about the community than about trying to be in the playoffs. Mm -hmm. Bayern Munich is trying to be in the playoffs with the Trinkieri project, but Alba Berlin can actually cause damage to Bayern Munich in their local rivalry. Mm -hmm. uh, and they play beautiful basketball, honestly. I mean, they're limited, obviously. You cannot expect things like beating Unix Kazan to happen every single week. Yeah. But the they, fact that they can do that on a single night is still amazing. They're a very uncomfortable opponent for every team because they're playing that Spanish way. They're always running, looking for some quick shots. Uh, uh, also, they have some special uh, defense situations uh, which are more common in, in, in Spain. And the zone defense of Aito Garcia Renezas is kind of unique. Nobody yes, nobody yes, plays yes. zone like they... they and if you're not making shots, just like uh, Zenit did, you're in a big trouble. I mean, a lot of uh, big teams were trapped in, in Berlin or playing against Alba because they just couldn't make shots and then it's it's over for you. And another thing uh, I like what they did when they signed Chris Kumaje mm -hmm. because uh, you see some big teams with guys like Walter Tavares and other tall Fal centers. Yeah, Milutinov. Yeah, both Fal, Mustafa and Yusufa. Uh, sometimes they dominate games. So they kind of gambled with Kumaje who was sort of an unknown and unproven player. They tried to give it a shot uh, Last year, when you saw him for the first time, you you were thinking, man, he's too slow. He cannot be some on random the, on, big dude. Yeah, yeah, he cannot be on the Euroleague court. But now this season, in some games, Israel Gonzalez trusts him, gives him some minutes, and other teams have problems with him: offensive rebounds, playing in the paint when he gets the ball. It's very difficult to stop him close to the rim. So. 
even with players like the, I mean, if Chris Kumaji becomes a free agent right now, he wouldn't get any big offers. Mm. But for Alba Berlin, in some situations, he can be a game changer. So it just shows that the organization is working, uh, doing all these right things. They have their own way, and you have yeah. to respect that way. They're not big yeah. spenders, but uh, for example, uh, I was doing, uh, I'm still doing the research of Euroleague team budgets, and they have the lowest payroll. They spend only three million euros uh, of, on their payroll, which is, which is really bad in Euroleague. I mean, in the early picture, it's really bad. It's uh, to compare with CSKA, there's a 19 million euro difference. So you can you can imagine even uh, even Zenit. I think that there's a difference of 10 million euros, and mm-hmm. they're winning games against Zenit. So huge respect for 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 Alba Berlin yeah, for what you're doing. Uh, and as you said, they're not overspending, but they're being smart with 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 the signings. And if players like Sigma, if players like even Maudo Law, Ericsson, they had. They had some really nice offers. I've heard that I was told that probably Sigma was uh, offered something even close to 1 million euros. He's highest paid Alba per, uh, Berlin player. As far as I know, he's getting something uh, 500,000 euros, but just because he's Luke Sigma, he showed, uh, he showed all this loyalty and playing all these years for, for Alba Berlin. I mean, they had offers, but they turned them down. They, they're playing in Berlin. They stayed in Berlin. Even their... If they're bottom Euroleague team, they're enjoying their time and tells a lot because it has to be something special in that place, in that team, if they're turning all these uh, offers down. Actually, us as Lithuanians following Žalgiris, we're kind of jealous of Alba Berlin, of what they have, because Žalgiris' budget is even a little bit bigger. Yeah, yeah. Payroll is bigger. Yeah. They're, they're paying like a half a million to Joffrey Laverne, I believe. Yeah. So we're kind of jealous. When, when Alba Berlin came to Konas, Yurezov, remember what he said? They're just too modern for us. <laughs> they, they play modern basketball. They're too modern. They're too good for us. Yurezov in uh, his press conferences is another topic which is worth uh, another separate podcast. He got to win. He got to win. Away from home. Uh, yep. Legendary Yurezov. What can I do? What can I do? <laughs> Look. I any any, any Yurezov's impression? Look. Come on. They got their first I away always win had the feeling in one we year. could win this game. Listen, <laughs> I I mean, it's not about his voice, maybe, or his words. It's more about his facial expressions, and especially this one. <laughs> <laughs> Yuri is actu- actually, he's a great guy. I mean, the way he's handling all these questions, all these 10-minute press conferences, having the season like that, one of the worst seasons in the new format EuroLeague, it's just incredible how yeah. patient he is. <laughs> really. I agree. I agree with you definitely. But Jalgiris obviously needed that win, but Monaco didn't need this loss. <laughs> we were talking about them making a run for the playoffs, a push. Oh my God. And you cannot afford to lose this game <laughs> if you're pushing for playoffs. Yeah, it's just like getting COVID you, before some imp- you could incredible see how trip angry or Sasha location. Bradovich yeah. was. I think these Monaco stars they underestimated Jalgiris and they thought it was going to be yeah. easy. We can play an easy game. If if we have some problems, we just play one-on-one. Dwayne Bacon, Mike James, they will do their stuff. We will win eventually. They were playing poorly and they were winning for 39 mm. minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they, they were close to getting away with this. But maybe this game just shows that Monaco is not a playoff material. Well, at least 
there was it was not a playoff mentality uh, i would say yeah. uh, i would say i think that everything is still in their hands uh, they can improve their situation but i hope that it's going to be a good lesson uh, for them because they have they really st- have potential to make that uh, playoff push i would say and okay i already teased a bit about my uh, euroleague uh, budgets article i hope that it will be published tomorrow uh, which is on tuesday uh, i'm still waiting for some final confirmations so just for a quick tease i would say that um the team which holds the biggest total budget is from spain but the thing is that the biggest spender in payroll is not from spain it's not the same team and uh, Actually, when you see the difference between the payrolls, uh, you kind of change your opinion or, or let's say, your expectations uh, before the game. Because, for example, Maccabi is playing Fenerbahce. In our minds, it's kind of equal teams. Evenly matched. Really. Yeah. I mean, okay, maybe if I would give an upper hand for Fenerbahce, but it's kind of, you know, the same level teams. But the difference between their pay- payroll, I mean, Fener's payroll is twice as big as Maccabi which is unbelievable. So when you're looking at the, all, all these tables and at all these amounts, I mean, it, it, it stucks in your mind. It's kind of complicated maybe to measure some of these budgets because in my opinion, there are some clubs or at least one club that doesn't really have a limit. I was on this research for like a couple of months. I, I would love to forget this time I spent on this story. So I could just agree with you completely <laughs> because mean, some teams they were even lying their numbers numbers what is the budget of, of where is the ceiling you need pangos you can get pangos so it, it made <laughs> my research really hard i mean all these things all <laughs> these situations you. so listen since we're talking about budgets and and signings and players uh, we have to give some credit to Bayern munich for for extending uh, vladimir lucic of course he was one of the top free agents in the upcoming uh, summer. He's one of the best small forwards in the league. If he's on the market, there will be like five or mm-hmm. six clubs competing for his signature. And all of a sudden, Bayern Munich extend his contract until 2025. Yeah, yeah, I think that. So he's here to stay. I think it's a big victory for Bayern Munich. Uh, I think Bayern Munich should also try to somehow extend Robert Lewandowski because the club <laughs> might be in... <laughs> more problems if they lose a player like this than Vladimir Lucic, but anyway, Lucic yeah. We're talking in, about in, football, in, it's a good st- indication that we should uh, <laughs> have our podcast over, probably. And Maybe so. At least it's not Winter Olympics. I, I still have like 15 minutes to buy liquor in Lithuania, so <laughs> let, let's stop right now. It's Valentine's Day. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Happy Valentine's Day, uh, everybody. Uh, week of cups uh, you're commentating yeah. spanish uh, copa del rey yep uh is there anything you're uh i'm hoping to see another el, el clasico obviously um i don't think the quarterfinals are very intriguing but semifinals usually it does it's gonna mean, be interesting there there might be some upsets barcelona <laughs> manresa valencia murcia real madrid but in spain you never know you never know really joventut tenerife might be an interesting one uh, but I'm just expecting to see uh, another El Clasico, really. Barca, Real Madrid. Maybe Valencia can surprise a little bit. Maybe Badalona, if if they have a lucky day, we'll see. I'm going to Serbia. I'm really glad to, to witness, I hope to witness, the derby between Zvezda and Partizan. It's 
the only game of the season where both team fans are allowed to enter the arena. And uh, it should be a good game because both Partizan and Zvezda, they're on a rise. But, you know, Serbia, Zvezda, Partizan fans coming to the arena. We also said some things about Partizan and Zvezda, so I have to take care of my health insurance probably before this trip. Wear a mask. Nobody knows who you are. That's a good uh, <laughs> cover. Yeah, that's a good advice. Pretty much it, right? Yeah. Thanks a lot. Thanks for watching us. Follow us on basketnews.com, uh, both on our website, YouTube channel, and also especially on uh, all of our uh, audio fl- platforms such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Pod- Podbean, and whatever, wherever you're listening to us. Thanks a lot and see you soon.